we want to be like Notre Dame. We want to be able to line up and run the ball when we want to, and then everything's there in, in your offense. Well, put that down as something you never thought you'd hear. After the 0-2 start from Notre Dame, everyone just left the program for dead. Might as well just cancel it. Fold up shop. Can't play football. Well, now you have a national championship winning head coach telling you that they want to be just like you. There you go. All is not lost, Irish fans, as you can see. (laughs) Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, September 28th. We hope you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show, whether that's on ESPN uh, YouTube channel or that's on the Apple Podcast or if on Spotify Podcast. We really appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. I'm Greg McElroy. With me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. Great game plan for you today as we do the same thing we do every Wednesday. We look at the 10 questions we want answered this weekend, plus play a little game of Guess Who Said It. And it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. It means another episode of Eli's Places that we're going to take a peek at here on Always College Football. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, 10 questions that we have every single Wednesday. We always do it, and we hope you enjoy it. We know based on our clicks, well, you guys have some of the same questions we have. So let's get into it, Coops. Let's kick it off. All right, number one. Will it be UCLA or Washington that is the real threat in the Pac-12 this season? Oh, it's almost like you asked that question because they're playing each other this week. Did you know that? Weird. Weird, right? Friday night. Leave it to the Pac-12 to put great games on Friday night, which I'm all for, by the way. I'm sitting in the hotel room, so I'm all for. Do you want to load it up with like a triple header on Friday starting at noon? I'm in. Uh, to the television executives that want to make my dream a reality, please, I'm there. Do you want to kick games off at 2 o'clock on Tuesday? I'll be there as well. All right, but let's get back to the question at hand. All right, Washington and UCLA, both teams, I think, are playing really good football. The thing is, Washington's ranked in the top 15. UCLA, everyone seems to remember, well, they had that performance against South Alabama, so they must stink, right? They also have been going viral for all the wrong reasons. Well, look how many people are in their stands. So, you know, fine, all right? So they had a tough start in week one as well, and everyone kind of left them for dead. Well, Bowling Green's got them, so they must stink. No, UCLA is undefeated. They're still pretty good. But we really don't know a whole lot about them if we're going to be completely honest. Let's start with Washington. We know they can throw the ball over the yard. We know they score a lot of points, all right? We know that Michael Penix is one of the best in college football right now. He's leading the nation in passing yards and passing yards per game and is number eight in passing touchdowns. So we know that Penix and this passing attack are the real deal. We also know that Penix has not been sacked this year. That's right. Washington's given up two sacks, both by backup quarterback and 
backup offensive line. Penix, clean sheet so far. So that, I think, is significant. It's going to be up to the UCLA defense to get home for the first time. More on them in a minute. I'm not sure they'll be able to, I might add. Uh, And then the Husky defense has done a pretty good job of creating some sacks of their own, including eight last week against Stanford. So maybe that group started to come on a little bit as well. So we know they can score. We know they're great through the year. We know they can they can do a lot of things offensively, but maybe the defense is coming around a little bit. Here's what's interesting about these two teams. Washington is a fast-starting football team. They've scored on 17 of their 21st half possessions so far this year. 14 of those 17 scores were touchdowns. So that's what they do in the first half of football games. Conversely, UCLA is not a team that plays very well in the first half. If anything, they're pretty terrible in the first half. So maybe if you're looking at this from some action standpoint, maybe, hey, Washington first half, UCLA second half, bada bing, bada boom, all right? UCLA during their seven-game win streak, which is pretty dang impressive, they are outscoring opponents 171 to 37 in the second half of football games, all right? That's pretty remarkable. That averages out to about 24 and a half to five and a half, all right? That's pretty good. Pretty good for a team that has been a little bit of a slow starter in each of the last seven games. But, hey, they are unblemished in that particular time. And if they actually played the way they did in the first half, the way they played in the second half, they'd be cooking with gas. All right? Problem is it just hasn't happened. Here's my biggest concern about UCLA and part of the reason why I lean just ever so slightly towards Washington right now. I think the depth on defense is a significant problem. All right? Andrews Jr. going down with a season-ending injury was an issue. Gary Smith going down uh, with an injury is a problem. Yeah, the Murphy twins will be good to go, but man, they are thin along the defensive line, and that will take its toll as the season goes along. So right now, if I had to lean in one direction or the other, I would lean just ever so slightly in favor of the Washington Huskies. All right, number two, how will Michigan perform in their first road game this season? All right, here's what we know, okay? We know Michigan's offense is pretty good. We know Blake Corum's the real deal, right? I mean, goodness gracious. Yeah, all right, well, Donovan Edwards is going to be out today. He's going to be out about the last couple of weeks. Oh, no problem. I'll just run it 30 times myself for 250. All right, so I'm not, I'm not that concerned about their offensive firepower and in particular their ability to run the football with Blake Corum. I'd love for Edwards to get back. It's nice to take a little load off his plate, but either way, uh, I think that is something that's going to be very, very interesting to, to monitor moving forward. I think J.J. McCarthy, the moment last week, granted, the guy started three games now. I know he's played a lot of football, but he started three games. There were a couple moments last week where he just wasn't quite as efficient as he was earlier in the season against subpar personnel. Understandable, right? We all talked about the numbers. I mean, you're not going to complete like 85% of your passes throughout the course of a 12-game season. It's just not going to happen, okay? If you do, just go ahead and just take your talents to the next level. This game's too easy for you, okay? I don't think that's the case for J.J. McCarthy because there were a couple of issues last week. Put the ball in the deck a couple times. Granted, both were recovered by Michigan. That's a little bit of a problem. And they missed, I I counted three inaccurate downfield passes that he's going to have to connect on against quality competition as they move forward. Uh, There were also some times where he kind of took a while in the pocket and made me just a little bit uncomfortable because it was as if he was just waiting to kind of just get hit. And I just, I didn't like the look of that. The kid's got all world potential, so I'm holding him to a high standard, but I expect him to get there. And he's going to have to get there sooner than later, especially when you go 
on the road. Missed throws and fumbles are massive momentum swingers, especially when you're on the road. Let's go to Michigan's defense, all right? We know that the rushing attack that Maryland threw at him, not one of the best in college football by any stretch, but a solid group nonetheless. I think they have a one-two punch that are pretty dang dynamic. I was not super impressed with what I saw from Michigan's rust defense. All right. They gave up 128 yards on the ground. You're going to sit there and say, well, that's really not that many. Correct. But this is also a team that in Maryland that for the most part abandoned the run, especially in the second quarter. So if they would really would have committed to it for four quarters, maybe that numbers, those numbers would have been uh, a little bit different. The other thing I was a little concerned about with Michigan is their lack of a consistent pass rush. Uh, I thought that showed up a little bit in the first half of the football game. Now, Minter got going a little bit in the second half, but it got it took a little while to get there. And Talia Tungabaloa felt like he kind of had all day to, to kind of survey the field there, at least in the first half of the football game. I want to go through the last six home games for the Iowa Hawkeyes, okay, against AP top five foes. All right, you ready for this stat? They are a cool five and one. The last five home games against AP top five foes. This will not be the last time I tell you this stat, by the way. In 2008, they beat number three, Penn State. In 2010, they beat number five, Michigan State. In 2016, they beat number two, Michigan. In 2017, this was the one they lost. They lost to Penn State. They were number four at the time. 2017, they beat Ohio State. They were number three at the time. Remember this one, 55-24. The beatdown of the Buckeyes that afternoon, I remember it vividly like it was yesterday. And then in 2021, they beat then number four Penn State, 23-20, which by the way, I don't remember Penn State ever being number four, but that's a conversation for uh, another day. But those are the last six games against AP top five teams at Iowa, okay? So be careful, Michigan. This is a dangerous game. Everyone's making fun of Iowa's offense. Fine. Be careful. This has all the makings of an 18-14 game. I'm just it just feels that way. With right? nine safeties? Like, oh yeah. You could nine safeties. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it. You can see it happening. <laughs> all right. Number three. Will Kentucky prove to be a real SEC contender by winning at Ole Miss? Gonna be a very interesting game. If this game was in Lexington, I'd lean heavily in favor of the Wildcats. But the fact that it's in Oxford makes things a little bit different. Let's talk about Kentucky's Achilles heel right now. That's pass protection. Okay. Their offensive line is not up to the standard of what we have come to expect from Kentucky. All right. They have allowed Will Levis to constantly get under duress time and time again throughout the course of the season. They gave up three or four sacks. What? Uh, five sacks, I believe, against NIU last week. I mean, that's just not good enough. All right. That's a problem. Uh, and I mean, this is, I mean, it's been kind of throughout. I mean, they have given up, I believe, 15 sacks on the year so far. And this is an offense that really wants to primarily run the football. So it, there are problems with their pass protection up front, especially a tackle. They need to get those things ironed out and get those things ironed out quickly. Outside of the sacks, Levis and the passing attack have been off the charts good. I mean, you look at what Tavion Robinson did last week. You look at what Barry on Brown did last week and how he's really starting to come on. I mean, that's a one-two punch at wide receivers. That's legit. And you now welcome back Chris Rodriguez from his four-game suspension. He's now back in the mix for Kentucky at running back. He's the real deal. So you have everything at your disposal offensively right now 
And I think there's a lot to feel good about. Ole Miss, by the way, I'm talking about the sack numbers. They failed to record a sack against Tulsa last week, but they did have 13 sacks in the first three weeks of the season. So we'll see whether or not they can get home this week against a pass, uh, a pass protection unit that has at times really struggled this year. Let's talk a little bit about the defense. Uh, this is a defense for Kentucky. That is the real deal. They came into last weekend allowing just over 250 yards a game. That was 13th in college football. Northern Illinois kind of gashed them up. It wasn't great. It was far from a flawless performance there defensively from Kentucky. They allowed 180 yards in the first half alone. And when you only give up 250 on the game, that's saying something. So they're definitely going to have to figure things out, I think, defensively this week because you know Lane Kiffin and company are going to have some creative run looks, are going to have some creative elements that will be difficult to defend. I think Kentucky holds up, and I think Kentucky ultimately gets the win, but it will be very challenging, I can assure you. Uh, and it's going to be up to Will Levis and those receivers to, I think, exploit an untested defense at this point. We're just not sure what to make of Ole Miss's defense, and I think Will Levis and company can move the ball with consistency through the air, especially if they spell that rushing attack headlined by Chris Rodriguez throughout the course of the game. All right, number four. How will Oklahoma rebound on the road at TCU after the loss last weekend? Well, if there's one thing that if I'm Oklahoma, I feel really, really concerned about is my ability to defend a quarterback that can run the football. Okay. Max Duggan is not that. Okay. Max Duggan's a gunslinger and wants to live in the pocket. Now can run and will run and is a capable runner. But it's not really his forte to just take off on, say, third and 16 and create seams in the defense. Look, last week, the defense for Oklahoma took a significant step back. They gave up 3.6 yards after contact to Adrian Martinez en route to a 150-yard rushing performance with four touchdowns. All right, that's not good enough. When you think about the fact that on third and 16, the most critical play in the game, they gave up a 55-yard run down the left-hand side from the quarterback that you knew probably wasn't going to be able to beat you with his arm. So I think that that is a real significant concern for Oklahoma moving forward is can they defend quarterback scramble? Can they defend quarterbacks that are capable of creating with their legs? Because that's not the last one that they'll see. All right, Most quarterbacks in the Big 12 they are going to be kind of stationary in the pocket, but Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State is going to take off. Jalen Daniels at Kansas, he's going to take off. Donovan Smith from Texas Tech, he's going to take off. So there are a handful of quarterbacks in this league that can make you pay if you are undisciplined with your pass rush. And then let's go over to the other side of the football where I am the tiniest bit more concerned than I am even with the defense there for Oklahoma. A lot's going to look at the end of game performance and the stats and the numbers and the and the points scored. But y'all, if you look at the fact that there were two 50-plus yard touchdown passes there in the second quarter, one to Theo Weist around the right-hand side, one to Marvin Mims down the left-hand side, you take those plays out, this offense did next to nothing throughout the course of a four-quarter game. They had 20 points in the first 55-plus minutes of action. They have to be able to sustain drives. They have to be better on third and 
third down when they were just two of six and couldn't really get anything on the ground. And they have to be a whole heck of a lot cleaner when it comes to their penalties and when it comes to their uh, ability to commit to being balanced in the run game. It felt like they were get across the 50-yard line and they would have an inaccurate pass or they'd have a penalty that would kind of get them off schedule. And they just couldn't really get out of their own way. So I think that that's correctable and something that will get corrected. But there are things that are keeping me up at night if I'm Oklahoma, knowing some of the matchups that I'm going to be going against here in the next couple of weeks. All right, number five. How will Alabama play on the road in their first ranked opponent this season? Well, Texas was ranked, not when they played, but after they played because of how poorly Alabama played Doesn't on the count. Uh, erroneous. Does erroneous. Not, does, does not, not count. count. No, and they are back out of the top 25 after their performance last week against Texas Tech. So no, uh, this is going to require discipline. And Alabama is going to be going into a hostile environment for the second time this year. Texas was wild. Everyone that was at the game will tell you, hey, that was a chaotic and hectic environment. Might not be quite as insane at Arkansas, but had Arkansas won last week, it would have been as insane as Texas. No doubt about it. When they feel good about their hogs, that's a place that can certainly bring it. Alabama's got to be a lot cleaner cleaner when it comes to the penalties. Alabama's got to be a lot cleaner when it comes to their efficiency, both offensively and defense. Remember last time out on the road, 15 penalties, 100 yards. That was in three quarters of football. In the first two quarters, they had 11 penalties for 58 yards. The receivers struggled with drop passes. Jameer Gibbs really had the longest gain uh, through the year, and that was on that 21-yard completion there early in the game. If you take out the 81-yard touchdown run by Jace McClellan, Alabama had 23 carries for just 80 yards the rest of the football game. So they didn't really sustain a whole lot. Yeah, had a couple big hitters, but they didn't sustain a lot throughout the course of the game. Now, Bryce Young was phenomenal when he had to be down the stretch, but you would love to see a more consistent effort, a more predictable effort from the Crimson Tide when they go on the road this time, because if they don't play consistently well, the crowd will get into it and it will become increasingly difficult to play in that situation. They got to get Ja'Cory Brooks involved and they got to get him involved at wide receiver sooner than later. It appears right now he's starting to establish himself as a reliable weapon on the outside. You also have to look at Jermaine Burton. He's likely going to be sliding outside to more of an exclusive outside wide receiver role. They were kind of moving him around, trying him in different places. I think they're going to abandon that. They're going to move him back outside. Then you get Ja'Cory Brooks out on the other side and then mix and match the slot receivers at that point. But if you can have two dudes that are reliable and dependable on the outside of your formations, you could be in good shape moving forward. The defense cannot tilt the formation in one direction or the other. So expect Ja'Cory Brooks after his 117-yard performance last week against Vanderbilt. Expect him to be a little bit more of a factor here in the weeks to come. He also had a couple touchdowns in that game. Defensively for Alabama, that's going to rule the day. Will Anderson finally broke through last week. He'd had kind of a quiet first month of the season, but he had three tackles for loss and two and a half sacks against Vanderbilt. Obviously a significant step up in competition this week with Arkansas and KJ Jefferson, a quarterback who's a mobile and capable option, not just with his legs, but also with his arms. But 
if Alabama's pass rush can get home, they had five sacks last week. If they can get home consistently and make life difficult for him, it will be challenging for that offense to get create uh, some of that momentum that they're going to need. So I think it's going to be a better performance from Alabama on the road, but I also think the competition this week against Arkansas is actually stiffer than that of what they would face when they went to Texas and when they played against the Longhorns. All right, number six. How will Oklahoma State do in their first real test this season on the road at Baylor? Well, this is uh, this is one a little bit like Michigan last week, where it's like, yeah, I think they're pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's like, but we really don't know. I mean, you can tell me all you want. We've had several Oklahoma State fans in our in our messages and in our comment section saying, "Why aren't y'all talking about the Pokes? They're so good, y'all." We don't know. I mean, we're going to find out this week, though. And they guess what? There's plenty of other opportunities down the road where you can make a statement. Look, this is a rematch the Big 12 championship game. We know that. I don't need to go too far down that rabbit hole. You guys all know how this game went the last time these two teams teed it up. As far as Baylor's concerned, let's start with them. You know the coach Iran is going to have that defense ready. They did a pretty dang good job last week against Iowa State. They held Iowa State to just 67 rushing yards and forced a couple turnovers. Plus, Blake Shapin, very efficient in the performance. They took control of the game and really never let up at any point of the game. It was horribly officiated, but that's a conversation that we can have uh, at a later day. When you look at Spencer Sanders, this is really his opportunity to come out. Because if you look at how he's performed in the last two performances against this Baylor defense, seven interceptions. All right. And that's something that is a little bit of a problem. He threw three interceptions the first time around, then he threw four interceptions. Obviously, uh, they're in the Big 12 championship game, a game that uh, will live in infamy forever for Oklahoma State fans. But if you look actually a little bit deeper at some of those throws, there was some pressure on some of those throws, and two of them, uh, there were the offensive line really turned loose Baylor pass rushers right up the middle. Two of them hit receivers in the hands. Both Rashad Owens and Brennan Presley were responsible for drops that ricocheted into interceptions. That's not on Spencer Sanders. And then there was a couple times in which he forced a throw or two. So if you look at all the interceptions, yeah, seven. They're not all on Spencer Sanders. So ultimately, yeah, he needs to be better, and hopefully he will be, but hopefully his teammates around him will be better as well. He's responsible so far this year for 26 points a game. That's the most by an FBS player. He's playing with unbelievable confidence. You can clearly see that he is a direct line to Mike Gundy. You can see he's a direct line to the offensive coordinator, Casey Dunn. You can tell that he's in great, great phase with quarterback coach Tim Rattay. I mean, they are really getting an awful lot from their quarterback at this point. Over 1,000 yards, 13 total touchdowns, one of the best you know, Heisman candidates in the country as of right now. Here's a quote from Mike Gundy. Quote, he still does some things. He's a risk taker. He'll run more. He'll take more hits than he should. He'll throw into tight coverage some. But that's kind of the way it is. We have a lot of confidence in him and let him go out there and make plays, end quote. Look, there's a lot of bravado that Spencer Sanders has been carrying, and he played beautifully in the first few weeks of the season. Now can he increase his awareness and situational awareness so he doesn't have to be the gunslinger all the time? I think he will. I'm very excited to see this young man play this week. I think they're in a great position to make a statement this weekend against a Baylor team that impressed me last week in a whole lot of ways. All right, number seven. 
Did DJU turn a corner and can he beat a ranked team other than Wake Forest? Well, coming into the season, it really looked like Clemson was going to have to be a team that relied heavily on what they did on defense and heavily on what they were going to do running the football. And uh, the offense was just so dang inconsistent last year. It was difficult for any of us to feel great about what they might be able to consistently provide. Uh, I certainly didn't feel good about them in a shootout ever, <laughs> you know, at any point. And clearly they passed that test last week. The offensive line, I thought, played pretty well, did a pretty good job with protection. thought they did a really good job of involving some of their wide receivers like Collins and Williams, Spectre and Ngata. Those guys have stepped up. But the thing that I was most excited about is how they're now really starting to involve the tight ends in the passing game. Printingstool had that touchdown in the back of the end zone there on the first touchdown of the game. And then if you look at what Davis Allen provided to that passing attack, he was a factor as well. So those guys emerging there is significant, especially for red zone offense and all that's concerned. Remember, DJ Uyunglele was 15th last year in passing efficiency in the ACC, but he looks like he's a completely different guy. He has 10 touchdown passes already this year. That's one more than he threw in all 13 games last year against just one interception. He threw 10 last season. He looks healthy. He looks nimble. And he certainly looks like he's capable of running the football when asked of him. But the downfield passes, that's what we've been waiting to see from him. And he delivered time and time again last week against Wake Forest. I think he'll be able to do it again. Now it's just about managing the weather. Because if there is weather, they're in... Clemson, South Carolina, they're on Saturday night and they have to revert more to a rush first style of attack. Does that favor Clemson or does that favor NC State? Might have to break that down a little bit more here as the week goes along. All right. Number eight, can Jordan Travis match Sam Hartman's production? Well, Jordan Travis is coming off of arguably the, the best performance of his career. But Sam Hartman is too. <laughs> you know, so uh, I think this is a fascinating game. Uh, and right now, I wonder if there's a little bit of the wind out of Wake Forest sails right now. Uh, ultimately, I wonder where they're at emotionally. Obviously, had a huge opportunity there in their own backyard to be able to knock off and end the streak against AP top 10 teams. You know, a lot was riding on last week. Will they allow Clemson to beat them twice? We're going to find out. Jordan Travis, I think, though, last week against Boston College had maybe his best career game. And I think that went into the week. I mean, we had Mike Norvell on last week, and I wasn't sure at that point if Jordan Travis is going to play. I mean, remember he got beat up against Louisville, missed the second half of that football game and some of the second quarter. I wasn't even 100% sure he was going to be available, and he comes out and goes 16-26 for 321. Uh, and a touchdown. They knew a complete and utter dominance shown by Florida State against Boston College. Now, I don't think we've seen a passing attack at Florida State like this since 2016. This is the best they've looked in quite a while. I'm very optimistic about what I've seen from Jordan Travis so far. He is now hanging in the pocket a little longer than he ever has. And it looks like the offensive line is gelling nicely around him. Couple that with the fact that you have receivers that are off the charts good. Florida State, how about this? They have played four games and had four different receivers lead the team with receptions and yards in each game. All right, that is pretty impressive. Darian Williamson led all receivers with five receptions for 98 yards before leaving the game 
uh, after getting nicked up. So it's a really deep receiving core. They had six different wide receivers to catch a pass on Saturday night, and the average yards per reception was 19 yards downfield. So they are pushing the ball downfield, and they're getting a bunch of guys involved. So I love what I've seen so far from Florida State. And I look at this matchup this week, and this could be a coming out party. I know they're ranked in the top 25, but this could be a coming out party because everybody respects Wake Forest after their performance last week. Now, can Florida State get it done in their backyard? It'll be really interesting, I think, to watch. But yes, to answer your question, Jordan Travis can definitely go toe-to-toe, I think, with any quarterback in college football right now. All right, number nine, your team, the Kansas Jayhawks. Can they keep the season undefeated and keep the streak alive against their toughest opponent to date in Iowa State? Well, you know, Iowa State's going to be ticked off with how last week went, so I would anticipate a better performance from them. They did not play great last week in the loss to the Baylor Bears, and they didn't play great on the defense side of the football. Um, I think Jalen Daniels is the key. (laughs) Shocking in saying that, right? If he can play the way he's played up to this point, they certainly have a chance. He's 4-0 already this year, obviously. And he's had maybe the best four performances of his whole career. And this thing's come full circle for him, man. They didn't win a game when he was a freshman. So this is a really, really awesome opportunity for them. I think when you look at Cyclone defense and what they can do, they might make life very difficult for him. I'd be shocked if he can replicate the statistical success that he's had in each of the first four games. If he can, my goodness, look out Big 12. Uh, Because this dude... Going against this defense, if he can perform the way he's performed up to this point, they could be in a really good position to be successful. So very optimistic what I've seen so far, but I'm still in a bit of a holding pattern knowing that this will be by far the toughest test to date. All right. And number 10, weather. It's already caused a couple games to move. And now we're looking ahead at Saturday, Hurricane uh, Ian's rolling through. What's it like playing in torrential weather? Well, weather is brutal, man. I mean, it's really, really tough. So I can speak to it from a couple different perspectives. One, players work on throwing wet ball drill all the time. So on Thursdays, we used to always snap wet balls and our entire practice, whether it was going to rain or not, was going to be using wet balls because they wanted to make life difficult for us as both quarterbacks and as wide receivers. So using a wet ball was not the end of the world. What becomes challenging, though, is when you had that wet ball and in addition to the wet ball, you have a swirling wind. The wind is what is far more challenging than the actual wet ball itself. Yes, you're going to throw some wounded ducks and you're going to throw some ugly footballs. It's going to come out of your hands a little bit unique every once in a while. It's part of it. You just have to check your ego at the door. Like if you're used to throwing really tight spirals, give that up. It ain't going to happen when there's a wet ball scenario. But those things can be overcome. I saw and called a game between NC State and Notre Dame. This was in 2016. And I was, was at that game. game. You were at that game. I, I was at it. that game. It was an awful Miserable game. Outside. It was a terrible game. And for whatever reason, Notre Dame kept trying to throw it with Deshaun Kaiser. Like They kept trying to throw it and throw it and throw it. And it was almost like, this is, this is laughable how crazy this is. I mean, guys can't even hold the punts. They can't even catch punts, let alone balls that are coming at them at 100 miles an hour. So, yeah. uh, and I called that game and I remember being, you know, insane. So if it's anything like that, you better hope and you better look at the, at the forecast because if the weather's supposed to get worse as the game goes along, you better throw everything at the opponent 
there in the first quarter of that football game. Because the worse it gets, if it goes on and on and on and gets worse and worse and worse, I would definitely make sure that I prioritize from a play calling standpoint all my best stuff there for the first quarter. So you got to be a little bit of an amateur psychologist, an amateur weatherman. This requires mental toughness. Dabo famously said when playing Notre Dame in 2015 on the heels of a hurricane, said, bring your own guts. I was at that game too. Well, it's went to that game too. Because you're an Irish homer. Bring your own guts game, right? That's what (laughs) these games are all about. Like they're not pretty. They're not fun, especially if you're an offensive player. But the team that is most mentally tough will be the team that is victorious in the very end. I'll say this as a fan going to those two games. As long as you're prepared for it and know it's going to be wet and miserable, they can be a lot of fun. You just have to go in expecting not to see a lot of offense and just kind of take it for what it is. I think they're super fun. As long as everybody's super safe and we're obviously thinking about everybody in, that is that is looking down the down the barrel of the storm, man. We're really, really concerned about everybody on the west coast of Florida. So we're thinking and praying for you. Uh, but yes, assuming everything gets through and everybody's okay uh, and it's just hovering the way it does there in Saturday and the rain's pouring... It could be pretty fun. It will lead to definitely a memorable environment. That's for sure. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, moving along to Guess Who Said It. Let's tee it up. All right, Guess Who Said That, one of our favorite segments. All right, McElroy, Guess Who Said This. I think because the experience I had at other places, it's not going to affect me. I have friends and family and all that jazz. It's really not an effect. I think as coaches, you're probably more numb to it than the outside world because it really just is about the game you're involved in. Have I thought about it? Yes. I'll talk to them about how we're going to handle the locker room, which I already mentioned. I know where the hotel is. I know the layout of the hotel. I know the dynamics. McElroy. Guess who said that? Oh, that's a tough one. I feel like it's a coach that is returning to, you know, play at a place that he used to coach at. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying to think of where that would be going on this weekend. Uh, There's a handful of of places that have pretty good matchups. Man, I have no idea. You are on the right track. You are on the right track. And this is not getting enough attention to Brett Bielema Bowl. Brett, take it away. I think because of the experience that I've already had at other places, it's not going to affect me. Um, I mean, I got friends and family and all that jazz. Um, but, um, 
you know, it, it, it's really not an effect. I think as coaches, you're probably more numb to it than the outside world because it really is just about the game you're involved in. And have I thought about it? Yes. I talked to, you know, I'll talk to them about how we're going to handle the locker room, which I already mentioned. I, I know where the hotel is. Uh, I know the layout of that hotel. I know the dynamics. I love it because it's funny to me. I always like, it feels like so long ago that he was at Wisconsin. I mean, that might as well have been, I mean, that might as well have been in 2002. I mean, it feels right. like, an, I mean, it feels like an eternity ago. He's had so many stops between then, but even though there hasn't really been that many, I mean, there was, you had Arkansas, of course, for a while. Then he, of course, went to, uh, to the new, to the New England Patriots or wherever in the NFL somewhere. And now he's back in Illinois, you know? So I don't know. I guess when I think about Brett Bielema, I don't think about him as a Wisconsin head coach. I think about him as a, as an Arkansas head coach. So I don't know. It's just, it just still feels a little funky to me. So yeah, good, good reminder and a good game this weekend, a sneaky good game this weekend as well. Yeah, you guys love Tommy DeVito in Illinois. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, moving on. Guess who said this? Guess who said this? Playing hard and wanting it and playing that way is not the problem. We have to play smarter and we have to not to play with our emotions early in games. I think some of our younger guys get emotional early in games where they're trying to get some of the formations and they also try to be perfect. Sometimes when you're trying to be perfect, you can't. It's the worst thing you could be. McElroy, guess who said that? That sounds like Nick Saban. Ooh, close. And ironically, you said him. Jimbo Fisher. Take it away, Jimbo. <laughs> playing hard and wanting it and playing that way is not the problem. We have to play smarter. And we have to not play with our emotions early in games. And I think some of our young guys sometimes get emotional early in the game, trying to whether you're getting set on a formation and try to be – and they also try to be perfect. Sometimes when you're trying to be perfect, you can't it, – it's the worst thing it can be. I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's the worst thing you can be. I mean, perfection's pretty good, but I understand what he's saying. Like, if you are solely in pursuit of like thinking, oh, I gotta be gay, I gotta be great, I gotta do great, I gotta do great. Like, I can see where that would be like really difficult and in some ways debilitating on young players. And they are young, man. I mean, I, I guess I just, I don't know how. And I was talking to some of their staff before the game, Daryl Dickey and, and a few other people on their staff, and they were saying, Man, I mean, I, I honestly don't understand how this is year five. We've been here five years and we have had a young team every year. I'm like, I, I, it really doesn't make sense. It's one of the modern marvels of our sport. I have no idea how they're young every year, but they are. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but it is the God's honest truth. It really is. All right, it's Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's another edition of Eli's Places. And this one, a little bit different. Let's have a look. Terry was selected by the Rams in the 11th round of the 1991 draft. Now you're talking about one of the happiest days of my entire life. <laughs> the next day you get on the airplane and I was in Los Angeles. And there I was, man. I was in the locker room and there were all the players. Jim Everett, there's Kevin Green. God, I love it! Oh my God, there's Jackie Slater. Uh... A few years later, I got cut. <laughs> Not even years. Terry played for three teams in 32 games, but never made more than the league minimum. He knew he needed a life after football, and football helped him find that life. Art. I sucked it up, and I went back in the locker room, and I said, hey guys, hey man, you know, I'm Terry, I, I like to draw, I'm going to show you my portfolio. 
and would you guys like your portraits painted? And at first they were like, oh, this poor guy, you know, yeah, <laughs> let's see. And then they opened it up and they were like, damn, right. okay. I would tell them, I'm gonna have you standing over a city. You'd be giant, and then they were like, yeah, I want that one, yeah, I want that. <laughs> Dude, I would get three to $5,000 a painting. And I would do like four or five paintings over the off season and wait to get picked back up. And that's what how I survived. All right, as you can see, Terry Crews, I mean, he's been in a million movies. Great sit down there, great visit with Eli Manning. I can't wait to watch this episode because I've always really liked Terry Crews. I always found him hilarious. But where does he rank as far as former football players that have transitioned to the big screen. There's actually more than you realize. Uh, number one by a wide margin to me, Carl Weathers, who you might not know. Carl Weathers, also known as Apollo Creed, also known as Dylan in Predator. I mean, the guy is like an all-time great, to me, all-time great actor. I love him. Did you realize that he played for the Oakland Raiders in 1974? He also starred for the San Diego State Aztecs in 68 and 69, and then went undrafted there in the NFL in 1970. So he had kind of bounced around a little bit before shutting it down and transitioning into, obviously, uh, transitioning into acting. But there's a bunch of them, like Terry Bradshaw had been in a bunch of movies, Jim Brown in a bunch of movies. Jim Brown, I believe, what was it? Mars Attacks, one of the worst movies ever, but good cameo from Jim Brown, who I believe played like a boxer in the the actual deal. Uh, Bubba Smith, uh, John Matusak. Like I actually Googled former NFL players that have transitioned into movie stars, and there's a bunch. Uh, You're going to mention the juice? Who? OJ Simpson, Naked Gun. Yeah, he was a Naked Gun. Yes, he was a Naked Gun. There's a bunch actually, like Bubba Smith... Uh, in all the police academy movies, like there's a bunch, a lot of the former actors kind of fit like a role, like like they're all total ballers. You know what I mean? Like gun toting police officers, like I'm going to kick your butt, ballers. Like Terry Crews is that. Like a lot of Matusak was that in a couple of a couple of uh, things. Terry Bradshaw was that. Shockingly enough, like there's a bunch of. I think. People in Hollywood have like this characterization of us as just being total ballers, like total badasses. If you're a, you know, if you're a football player, you must be a total badass. Little do you know, it's not the case. Oh, <laughs> us, us. Are you jumping into the acting uh, gear? Well, here? no, I'm not. No, I would, I would be a horrendous actor. Uh, I, I don't have any aspirations of getting into that world. But I think, like, I'm just talking about former players. Whether we're college pro, it doesn't matter. Like the perception is that we're all just a bunch of like we're gonna we can fight in the alley, and that's that's just not that's not really the case. We're if bigger. If you were than- cast in a movie, hold on. If you were, if somebody came up to you and says, "Hey, I have a movie we want you to be in," what kind of movie would it be? Are we talking like are you going for comedy? Are you a romantic comedy? Are you an well? Action? Anyone that knows me, for? like, no. First of all, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go romantic comedy because that's basically like. Um, I don't know. That's, it's, I mean, it's like days of our lives with like a couple one-liners. So you're like not going to be in what, any Adam Sandler movies anytime soon. Okay. Well, I, I mean, Adam Sandler hasn't done a romantic comedy in forever. Uh, like back in Adam Sandler's heyday, like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison, you know, all those movies. Like, yeah, I would have liked to have been part of the crew. Even Mr. Deeds was decent, but for the most part, he hasn't had a hit in a minute since Click. 
in like what oh seven. Uh, just go with it. Wasn't bad, but no, I would I would definitely be deadpan. Like anyone that knows me, like sarcastic deadpan humor. That that is a hundred percent where I would go. I would live there. Couldn't do drama. Couldn't do any of the acting stuff. I don't really want. I wouldn't want to do. I would do like deadpan delivery and just say something funny, and then completely have a straight face and just get a really awkward reaction from everyone else on screen. That would be the play. But uh, either way, would not be very successful in that role. I can assure you, have no desire to get into that line of work. Um, I think I'm just going to live right here on ESPN's YouTube channel. Uh, calling games on the weekends, doing some college football conversation. Like, I'm good with that. If they want to toss us, you know, if we want to be part of the Screen Actors Guild, if they want to let us in the SAG, go for it. I'll I'll, I'll definitely watch the movies for free come award season uh, if they want to toss a few our way. All right. So, but great show today. Really enjoyed it. Hope you will come back and be with us again tomorrow. Chris the Bear Fleek will join us like he does every single Thursday. So we'll break down the lines. We'll break down some of the games and hit a bunch of them. That's for sure. So that'll be a lot of fun. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Hit us up on our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us up on our social media at alwayscfb on both Instagram and on Twitter. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. Oh, shout out to Jack as well. Jack's birthday, not this Jack, not Jack Foster. He's the third third leg of the tripod. Jack's trail, we want to give him a happy birthday shout out. He was the one that was with me last week in Dallas filming out all that awesome behind the scenes stuff. So shout out, Jack. Happy birthday, dude. Uh, we hope it's a good one. What are you, like 23? Like, and you're probably still of the age where you still celebrate birthdays. So glad that you're having a good one. But anyways, for all of us here at Always College Football, we hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.